Hello and welcome to this episode of Irreligiosophy, the one true podcast. The only podcast to routinely plagiarize from the Old Testament. Yeah, we, we do what we can, seeing how we can never quite come up with our own material. Yeah, we um, missed last week. I'm sure it was Leighton's fault somehow. Yeah, yeah, I was uh, masturbating too much in the shower, and you know where that leads. The children that go down the drain always come back to haunt you. Uh, that is a recurrent problem with you, isn't it? Well, you see, I was told when I was younger that uh, every time I masturbate, God kills a kitten, and I'm just helping with the animal problem out there. So, <laughs> instead of spaying or neutering your pets, you just wank one off. Yeah, I just allow God to kill them. Uh, Makes sense. <laughs> well, that's the end of uh, Fuck You Fans Month, right? Yeah, yeah, but before we go, I just want to say fuck you all just one last time, just for good old time's sake. For nostalgia's sake. Nostalgia, yes, fuck yes, because it's, it's been so long since we said fuck you, so. Yeah, it's been like two weeks. <laughs> uh, should we go with the skunk dick? Let's get right into the skunk dicks. Yeah, yeah, let's, let's stop dicking around and holding each other's hand. Uh, the first one is Glenn Beck. Imagine that. I'm stunned. I'm shocked that he makes an appearance here on the Mims H. Carter Skunk Dick of the Week. Yeah, you know, uh, I thought he was such an upstanding guy who turned himself around that we no longer had to do him, but, oh, wait, he started his own university, you plagiarizing bastard. Oh, he's really taking his uh, New Testament to heart. Plagiarizing right from our show. Can you believe that shit? He plans a university. It costs ten bucks a month. Uh, and he's got a bunch of dipshit professors, one of whom fainted live on Fox News on on his, on his stupid show. Was he crying when he fainted? No, he he just he just goes, uh, I think I'm gonna pass out, and bam, he passes out. It was awesome. <laughs> I think I've got to download the video to that because uh, that that just sounds very pussyish. Now I got to tell you, uh, Glenn Beck actually is a little smarter than us. Uh, he charges ten bucks a month. Um, our entire degree cost one ninety nine, and uh, you know I mailed those out uh, a week and a half ago, and uh, what we made eight dollars. Uh, we've actually processed four degrees, and between getting those little stiff envelopes that they, they don't bend, and the postage, uh, two of them I think were out of the country. I ended up spending twenty bucks. <laughs> no, hold on, hold on, hold on. This whole degree idea came from you. You put it together, and you decided on it, and you we're now losing money because of you, is what you're saying. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to still charge $199, but then I'll just send them a PDF file so they can print it out on their own fucking printer. <laughs> yes, uh, Charlie, the philosopher who he is, has never done anything with economics. Clearly. Uh, I did not study economics in school. That's not my strong suit. You, know, you charge yeah. one ninety nine, and the postage is like five bucks. That doesn't work out. I solve that by quantity. <laughs> <laughs> Holy mother of Christ! And you're the one I'm going into business with. I'm sure if we sell enough of these, we will eventually make a profit. Yeah, yeah. Because two dollars in, five dollars out is always a good thing. So Glenn Beck uh, sees a good idea, steals it. Uh, and, you know, how would you like to have a degree from Glenn Beck University? <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out how Glenn Beck got smarter than us in this one. <laughs> it's really, uh, you know, I'm nominating, 
irreligiosity for the skunk dick of the week now because we're we've reached a new low on this one. <laughs> yeah, winking off on air that that's fine. Charging two dollars when it costs five dollars to send out the goddamn. Oh my god! I finally understand why Patriot Bible University tacks on an extra three hundred dollars for out-of-state foreign uh, applicants. Uh, it's you foreign bastard! Stop listening to our show so we don't have to send you a goddamn certificate. <laughs> it's the foreigners. The foreigners, yes. So I'm not sending paper versions anymore. It kills trees anyway. I'm sending a PDF. Uh, print it off yourself, you lazy bastards. All right. Uh, the next one is the University of Texas. Uh, they, the title is University of Texas May Change Dorm Name That Honors Klansmen. Oh, it, it, it brings peace to my heart to know that Texas will always be on our upper list of skunk dick candidates. A University of Texas at Austin student dormitory, named after a man prominent in the Ku Klux Klan in the 1800s, may soon have its name changed. <laughs> they want to rename Simpkins Residence Hall following a recommendation by a 21-member advisory group, according to a press release from the university. The most shocking part of this story is they found 21 people in Texas who were not racist. <laughs> I don't think that's possible. I think there needs to be a recount. Well, it was probably a slim majority. <laughs> <laughs> Slid by by the only black person on the committee. So you wonder, how did this racist get, uh, how in the world did this racist get named, uh, get a dormitory named after him, right? Well, let's see. He was leading the Ku Klux Klan and nobody else would stand <laughs> up against him. I don't know. Controversy over the dorm name came after a former UT law professor, Tom Russell, initiated research on Simpkins. Um, <laughs> published earlier this year, Russell's research article claimed that University of Texas officials named the dorm in the 1950s after a Klan member as another way to intimidate African Americans after the U.S. Supreme <laughs> Court decision, Brown versus Board of Education. So they're essentially saying, oh, you, you might be able to force us to integrate these um, African Americans, but we're going to intimidate the shit out of them <laughs> by naming it the dorm that they're going to be housed in after a member of the Ku Klux Klan. So, yeah. welcome, African Americans, and fuck you! Yeah. Thanks, University of Texas, for bringing in the age of civil rights. Do you think this is enough that we name it? Do you think that's too subtle? Perhaps we should burn a cross or, or maybe hang some people. Well, that, maybe that'd get the point. Burning the cross was just part of the opening day of ceremonies. I mean, sometimes <laughs> you get a bugle out there yeah. at the University of Texas. A flaming cross is what wakes you up in the morning. You got to light the torch with something. <laughs> yes, uh, bringing the light of knowledge to all black people everywhere. All right, uh, our third candidate is Mike Adams, who has issued an immodest proposal after the United States Supreme Court. All right, let me get to the background of this decision. Yeah. There was a uh, Christian campus group that uh, wanted to uh, have funds from the university, and they also wanted to exclude non-Christians, because if you joined the group, you had to sign a um, statement of faith, you know, that you would adhere to these guys' beliefs, right? Yeah, basically, you, you were signing uh, almost a promise, that, you know what, I believe in the Christian values of this Christian majority. 
So, right, you couldn't be a member without it. And so the university said, hey, that's fine, Christian group. You can do that. But we're not going to give you university funds. You guys can discriminate all you want against non-Christians. Just do it with your own fucking funds. Don't take funds out of the pockets of other students who may or may not be Christian and use them to discriminate. Well, Christians don't like having their right to discriminate fucked with. So they (laughs) sued the university. And it went all the way up to the Supreme Court, and in a narrow five to four decision, uh, with the majority statement, I think, written by uh, Ginsburg, uh, they said that California was within its rights. It didn't violate any First Amendment rights of the Christian Legal Society when it denied the group official recognition. So what they basically say is, again, you guys are free to discriminate. Just don't rely on campus funds to do it. That seems fair, right? Yeah, and you would think... You would think the Christian motto is to convert everybody so everybody can be in nirvana with God and enjoy yourselves. Oh, wait, let's discriminate. Keep out those people who you may influence with your beliefs and and be complete dicks about it. Yeah, that, that's the best way to do it. So like any good Christian, Mike Adams is furious about this. Yes. And he writes an immodest proposal. Um, clearly, this is satire. First clue is the title, right? Based off of... A Modest Proposal by Jonathan Swift, which yeah. Leighton will now explain to you. I've never read that book. <laughs> <laughs> I know was, the name. I know it's uh, right. it's important, but I've never read that book. Yeah, Jonathan Swift uh, wrote this little thing on getting rid of um, the problem of the poor Irish, right? And he, he uh, said, look, you'll, um, <laughs> you just take the Irish babies... And you cook them and you feed them to other poor people and you, you, you get rid of two problems, basically. Makes sense. Um, <laughs> clearly satire. Um, <laughs> the, it's difficult to tell because this guy is clearly pissed off um, until you get to the end. Uh, and when he said, In his dissent, Justice Samuel Alito observed that the Martinez majority has provided public universities with, quote, a handy weapon for suppressing the speech of unpopular groups. Alito is right as usual. After we get rid of the heathens, we'll turn our weapon on the gays, the blacks, and the feminists. We might even go after the Italians, too. The gays, the blacks, and the feminists, uh, I think he has written previous articles on. <laughs> He's even read a book, wrote a book <laughs> called Feminists Say the Darndest Things, A Politically Incorrect Professor Confronts Women on Campus. So I don't buy it when he says you'll turn our weapon on the gays, the blacks, and the feminists. I think he'd be perfectly happy. The Italians, I think I sense some satire there. Personally, my favorite thing is after he talks about getting all the Christians together, getting inside of all the atheist groups. Oh, we right, hate yeah. Those damn atheists. Here's the satire, right? He's he's writing as if he's serious, um, which, you know, again, it's Poe's law. How how can you tell? Um, but his idea is that since uh, you can't discriminate against this stuff and you can't have people sign a little statement of faith, he's going to take all of his Christian warriors and um, infiltrate the atheist groups on campus. Yeah. That's, his, that's his satire. That's his yeah. whole idea. Basically, he wants to infiltrate it, get his Christian soldiers up, up in the higher rungs of these little groups, and then defeat the atheists. And yeah, it's essentially, you know, they, they wreak havoc on it. They'll cause all these problems and not allow any of these um, um, organizations to uh, survive. They'll crush campus dissent. Yeah. And if they don't like it, they can go to hell. That's where they're eventually going anyway. You know what? I, I got to say, this guy has balls uh, for stout, spouting this sort of stuff, and I would love to feed them to him. 
Oh, good lord. So when I get back to the secular university in August, I plan to round up the students I know who are most hostile to atheism. Then I'm going to get them to help me find atheist haters willing to join atheist student groups across the South. I love how he's pissed off at the uh, atheists. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's just like, it's the same thing as World War II, right? You look around, who do I hate the most? Oh, the Jews. (laughs) They have nothing to do with any of my current problems, but I'm really pissed off at them, so I'm going to make them pay. Oh, come on. This guy is blaming atheists for this decision. He figures that it's because our country is going down in the tubes, because we're not allowing God in the schools, so on and so forth. It's because of the atheists, those damn atheists, that this decision was done. That's why he's yeah. writing this bullshit. Well, he hates atheists. He doesn't like uh, free thinkers and like secularists. And that's why this is, you know, he says it's satire. The whole thing's ridiculous. Even even assuming that his idea is to crush campus dissent, uh, atheist groups, free thinkers, what do we like more than debating idiot fucking Christians? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm curious, Bring Charlie. it. Did you, did you look at the contributors that are on their wall? No. Yeah, you have such upstanding people who contribute to this particular bullshit as Pat Buchanan, Chuck Norris, <laughs> oh my God. and a whole slew of other retards. And Coulter, yeah, he's in good company. Well, you know, there's a little advertisement. If you subscribe to this uh, townhall.com thing, you get Glenn Beck's new book free, which is actually more than it's worth. You'd have to fucking pay me to read Glenn Beck's new book. Uh, we could use it to start a fire. So that's that guy. It's not really even worth talking about. It's a ridiculous satire that's really meaningless. Unlike Jonathan Swift, this guy doesn't have a brain. Yeah, well, so, he's still a skunk dick. This this dude's a douchebag. Is that your vote? Who's your vote? Uh, let's see. Uh, my vote is definitely Glenn Beck, but he just wins because he's got the largest ovaries around. I'm going to go with Glenn Beck as well. But unfortunately, the winner is the Mormon Church. What the fuck, dude? <laughs> You give me three candidates to consider and you don't even throw in the Mormons? What what have the Mormons done? Uh, California Ethics Commission finds Mormons guilty on 13 counts of late Proposition 8 campaign oh, reporting. Oh, that bullshit. They should have got their nuts snipped on this one, too. On June 11th, uh, here we are, the cutting edge of uh, breaking news here in your religiosity. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we like to keep things uh, right up to date for all of you out there listening. Over a month ago, the FPPC, in an unprecedented ruling against the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, found the Salt Lake City-based church guilty on 13 counts of late campaign reporting and fined them a whopping $5,538 after 19 months of investigation. You know, that, that, that makes sense to me. Hmm, what should we do when someone lies to everybody and they spend thousands and thousands of dollars? Oh, I know, let's find them $5,000 you know what? Fuck the Mormon Church. They're not the skunk dicks. The skunk dicks are the ethics commission for allowing them to get away with this bullshit. Well, let's see. That cost them a whopping four hundred and twenty-six dollars per count of fraud. Yeah, let, let's see about this. Hmm, I wonder what it cost to investigate it. <laughs> Dumbasses. Now, the Mormon Church initially admitted to spending only $2,078. You remember hearing that? I heard that all the time. 
Oh, the yeah. Mormon Church put in less than three thousand dollars into that. That's all they contributed. Yeah, I knew that was bullshit right when I saw one of the commercials and it said paid for by blah 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 and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. Bull no, fucking I gotta, shit. I gotta tell you, if, if you can slap a name up there for three thousand dollars, I would have my name on commercials all over the United States just for no apparent reason. Just hey, it cost me three thousand bucks. Eat my name and enjoy it. Don Eaton, a spokesman for the Mormon Church, said in an interview uh, with KGO-TV, ABC San Francisco, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints put zero money in this. Excuse me? What three the months fuck later, smoking? Three months later, the Mormon Church filed an amended return in which they admitted to spending $190,000. This is three months after the election. So 17 million California voters never were able to know the full extent of the Mormon involvement until well after the election. And they charge, they, they find them a whopping 5500 yeah. So you, you remember when we were talking to Sean about Proposition 8, and Sean yeah. said, uh, well, you know, that's for the courts to decide. Talk to Palmer, oh, we obey, honor, and sustain the law. Oh, fuck you. Yeah. yeah Listen, fuck you all. It's the 12th article of faith, right? 12th article yeah. of faith. We believe in being subject to kings, presidents, rulers, and magistrates, in obeying, honoring, and sustaining the law. Fuck you, assholes. Yeah, you know what? I would take this goddamn finding by the California Ethics Commission, turn it over to the IRS, and really punish them. Strip their tax-exempt status. What pisses me off about this is I can guarantee you, you talk to any LDS member about this situation here, and they'll gloss it over, come up with some fuzzy excuse that works in their brain as to why their church leaders would allow this. They would probably say something like, well, our church leaders weren't really involved with it. This is more of some of their underlings. Kiss my ass. The, the, the rank and file of the Mormon church tend to be good, decent people. It's the hierarchy, the leadership of the church, that I've always had a problem with. They're the people that are fucked up from the beginning right until now. The question is, why is the church so interested in gay marriage? Why can't they just say, hey, we're not going to marry anybody who's gay. So, you know, I don't really care what the larger country does. We're, we're a peculiar people. We'll remain a peculiar people. We'll be even more peculiar after the country passes us by. Um, live and let live. We'll let you guys do what you want. We'll do what we want. And that's why blacks still aren't allowed a priesthood. But, hey, if they can afford it, they can drive a Cadillac. Yeah, we'll get to that. Uh, uh, LDS Apostle Russell M. Nelson of the Quorum of the Twelve addressed a group of young adults from Boston, Massachusetts, June 10th of 2010, this year. Uh, yeah. He answers it for you. If civil law were altered to recognize so-called same-gender marriage, you, as believers in God and keepers of his commandments, would then be regarded as exceptions to the rule. <laughs> oh, my God. Suddenly, apparently... 99% of marriage will be gay, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I can see that because as soon as they allow it, all the uh, wives and husbands out there are going to start looking around going, God damn, there are nice pieces of ass out there. Yeah. He goes on, Your conscientious convictions would then be regarded as discriminatory. If you were a Christian school teacher, you could be charged with bigotry for upholding the Lord's law of chastity. In truth, dear brothers and sisters, if you lose marriage, you also lose freedom of religion. Atheistic oh. moral bedlam and religious repression go hand in hand. At oh, stake I'll give is our you bedlam. At stake is our ability to transmit to the next generation 
the life-giving and inseparable culture of marriage and the free exercise of religion. His problem is, in a nutshell, he doesn't like being called out in his bigoted views as being a bigot. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's let's be quiet and allow us to continue to discriminate against a, a certain type of people just because we like it. And you know what? While we're at it, let's toss the Jews in there because hey, no one's discriminating against them enough anymore. Oh yeah, you know, I can't believe they they say this with a straight face when you know they have just emerged after 150 years of discriminating against blacks. Now yeah, they can't do that anymore. <laughs> so now they gotta. <laughs> Choose a new, you know, and now now you're going to take the gays away from us too? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Look, um, Apostle Dallin H. Oaks recently, <laughs> this is October 13th of 2009, he gave a speech at BYU-Idaho, uh, and while well, this whole Proposition 8 was going, it had just gone through, and, and apparently they'd suffer some repercussions, right? And so here you have the yeah. Christian martyr complex in action. Let me uh, Let me play this for you. It is important to note that while this aggressive intimidation in connection with the Proposition 8 election was primarily directed at religious persons and symbols, it was not anti-religious as such. These incidents were expressions of outrage against those who disagreed with the gay rights position and had prevailed in a public contest. As such, these incidents of violence and intimidation are not so much anti-religious as anti-democratic. In their effect, they are like the well-known and widely condemned voter intimidation of blacks in the South that produced corrective federal civil rights legislation. You fucking jackass. You cannot see the similarity? I cannot believe Dallin Oaks has the audacity to compare himself to, to a black man in the 19... 19- 50s and 60s. Right? Now, where does yeah. he do this? In a place where he's going to get called out? Yes. At BYU fucking Idaho, enclave, bastion of ethnic diversity. He's yeah, this yeah. elderly Looking white dude. out across the sea of white. <laughs> the fucking sea of dick. white where everybody there understands discrimination Blue-eyed, blonde-haired, white. You can see all these all these white kids nodding their heads. Yeah, that's right. It's exactly like the blacks in the 60s. Yeah, Yeah, I know all about that. Yo. Well, let's rewind the clock to Apostle Mark E. Peterson's speech in 1954 in front of the students at Brigham Young University. This is where, you know, talk about segregation is is uh, rampant, right? Because you're Brown versus Board of Education, you get the 50s, it's all stuff going on. So let, let's see what an apostle of God, a member of the Quorum of the Twelve, has to say. Think of the Negro, cursed as to the priesthood. This Negro, who in the pre-existence lived the type of life which justified the Lord in sending him to earth in the lineage of Cain with a black skin, and possibly being born in darkest Africa. Apparently this guy thinks that there aren't any lights. In. There's no daytime in Africa. It's just no. this one dark continent. No, it's it's nice and dark. Yeah. If that Negro is willing, when he hears the gospel, to accept it, he may have many of the blessings of the gospel. In spite of all he did in the pre-existent life, the Lord is willing, if the Negro accepts the gospel with real sincere faith and is really converted, to give him the blessings of baptism and the gift of the Holy Ghost. If that Negro is faithful all his days, he can and will enter the celestial kingdom. He will go there as a servant, but he will get celestial glory. Oh, what oh a nice God. 
<laughs> Isn't that sweet of God? Yeah, let, let's let's put you down here in the world where you're segregated, put down on all of your days. But when you get to heaven, you can be blessed as our servants. Uh, here he, he talks about civil rights. The discussion on civil rights, especially over the last 20 years, has drawn some very sharp lines. Now we're talking, is almost exactly parallel, right? Yeah. We're talking about gay civil rights, they're talking about black civil rights. It yeah, is well, he, this is probably where he was getting his simile from. This right here is why he understands the segregation Absolutely. of blacks. Yeah. It has blinded the thinking of some of our own people, I believe. They have allowed their political affiliations to color their thinking to some extent. And then, of course, they have been persuaded by some of the arguments that have been put forth. We who teach in the church certainly must have our feet on the ground and not be led astray by the philosophies of men on this subject. Right? Because they got a direct line to God. Yeah. I think I have read enough to give you an idea of what the Negro is after. He is not just seeking the opportunity of sitting down in a cafe where white people eat. He isn't just trying to ride on the same streetcar or the same Pullman car with white people. It isn't that he just desires to go to the same theater as the white people. From this and other interviews I have read, it appears that the Negro seeks absorption with the white race. He will not be satisfied until he achieves it by intermarriage. That is his objective, and we must face it. We must not allow our feeling to carry us away, nor must we feel so sorry for the Negroes that we will open our arms and embrace them with everything we have. Remember the little statement that we used to say about sin, first we pity, then endure, then embrace. So let's see. The reasons why blacks wanted civil rights just like everybody else is because of jungle fever they wanted to absorb themselves into the white race i don't even know what the <laughs> fuck that means yeah because i know a lot of uh, a lot of black people out there who want to give up their entire culture so they can take on ours let's talk segregation again for a few moments was oh, was segregation a wrong principle when the Lord chose the nations to which the spirits were to come, determining that some would be Japanese and some would be Chinese and some Negroes and some Americans. <laughs> I was just saying chink and oh <laughs> I mean, seriously. <laughs> he engaged in an act of segregation. When he told Enoch not to preach the gospel to the descendants of Cain who were black, the Lord engaged in segregation. When he so cursed, God is a racist, which is, a, is why it's good for the LDS church. To be such a dick. When he cursed the descendants of Cain as to the priesthood, he engaged in segregation. Who placed the Negroes originally in darkest Africa? Was it some man or was it God? And when he placed him there, he segregated them. The Lord segregated the people both as to blood and place of residence. At least in the case of the Lamanites and the Negroes, we have the definite word of the Lord himself that he placed a dark skin upon them as a curse, as a punishment, and as a sign to all others. He forbade intermarriage with them under threat of extension of the curse. And he certainly segregated the descendants of Cain when he cursed the Negroes to the priesthood and drew an absolute line. You may even say he dropped an iron curtain there. Oh, God. Oh, God. So... <laughs> Finally, makes an Iron Curtain reference. Is the, did this guy grow up in Germany with, with the Berlin Wall? I mean, seriously, you jackass. So God is an asshole, so it gives you the right to be an asshole? God is pro-segregation. Yeah, it was God, God who the put the Negroes who... in Africa in the first place, Leighton. All you chinks, get out of our country. Get back to Asia with you. Where Come God on, wanted God. you. Yeah, and you know what? 
if there is any sort of breeding between races, uh, that just means when you come down half white, half black, you are only partially bad. So does that mean you're a servant in your own house? Finally, he winds up, this is all in the same speech, he winds it up with, with this who you referenced earlier. Now, we are generous with the Negro. We are willing that the Negro have the highest kind of education. I would be willing to let every Negro drive a Cadillac if they could afford it. I would be willing that they have all the advantages they can get out of life in this world. But let them enjoy those things among themselves. I think the Lord segregated the Negro, and who is man to change that segregation? It reminds me of the scripture on marriage. What God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Only here we have reverse of the thing. What God has separated, let not man bring together again. Did anybody get up and kick this guy's ass? Oh, they all nodded, just like they did in Dallin H. Oaks talk. Which, by the way, will probably be read uh, 50 years from now with the same sort of obvious bigotry, right? This is clearly bigotry, and I love that this is an apostle of the Lord. The Lord couldn't have just said, psst, hey, (laughs) Hey, shut the fuck up. What the fuck are you doing saying I'm a racist? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, these are the ones who are guiding the church. Isn't that these wonderful? are the ones you look to and think they have the word of God. God's segregated, so by God, we will keep it that way. It's the exact same thing with the gay right to marriage. This is the exact same thing. There, There's nothing different. You're talking about God forbidding blacks and whites to marry. Now you're talking about God forbidding men and men to marry or women and women. Who the fuck cares? No one's going to care in 50 years, and it's going to be an, a huge embarrassment to the church. By the way, uh, Marky e. Peterson, you know, um, it's very interesting. He, he uh, had a talk in, uh, God, this is in BYU, probably in the 60s, where it was against uh, oral sex, essentially. Oh, it's 1975. He, he spent the entire fireside talking about how you shouldn't have sex except to procreate. And oral sex is, is terrible. It's a purity in marriage talk, right? Well, you'll, if you'll excuse me, uh, if he's against oral sex, he's never had good oral sex. Well, I thought that um, I thought our, the seventh article of faith was we believe in the gift of tongues. <laughs> well, uh, if the gift of tongues is where I got my gift from, I'm okay with that. Uh, this is my favorite part. Uh, he was so convinced that, that um, purity must be upheld in marriage, he said... You know, I've been married to my wife for 44 years and never once have seen her body uncovered. And never once has she orgasmed or enjoyed you on top of her, you jackass. You know what pisses me off? Apostle Marky Peterson, I've seen your wife, and I agree with your decision. Yes, yes. Turn the lights off. If you have a bag, wrap it around her head. (laughs) And in fact, maybe if you uh, tighten it around her throat, get a little asphyxiation in there, she might enjoy it. Oh, my God. (laughs) You know, what I got to say is, this dude is pissing me off, but what pisses me off more is the audience. Not a single person stands up in there. We, I, I can guarantee you, we don't have any sort of listeners out there who are fully believing in the LDS church. If they do, they usually drop off before they get to this point. You dicks, when the fuck are one of you going to stand up and say, hey, you're wrong? Uh, never happened. Uh, you know, when we were talking to Palmer in his little apologetic, uh, fake apologetic talk, uh, he thinks that the role uh, of people inside the church is to agree with them. They don't have, he said, they don't have any independent thought. 
And that is inculcated into you from the very beginning. You do not have independent thought. When they speak, the thinking has been done. Uh, you cannot disagree dis, uh, um, with your superiors in the church because they are correct. They have a direct line to God. The apologetics on Mark E. Peterson is that, well, he was just a man. God has to work with what you know tools that he has. Um, I call total bullshit on that because the definition of an apostle is that you have personally witnessed Jesus Christ for yourself. You've seen him, you've talked to him. So how, you know, Jesus Christ apparently has this power to appear to people and talk to them. So why not just say, hey, Dick, you're making a bad name for my church. You may not know it now. No one might call you on it now. But trust me, 50 years from now, this is going to be a huge embarrassment. Totally fucking ridiculous. You know, here's a challenge to all of our listeners out there. If any of you, any of you, actually hear about uh, some preacher or even in the LDS church, any church, and it's roundabout here that I can get to driving distance, let me know. I will drive down there, I will sit in their church, and I will cause a ruckus. I can guarantee you that. These fucknuts deserve it. All right, let's move on to the actual meat of the podcast. Uh, Well, what are we doing today, Brain? We are doing uh, plagiarism. Remember, we did plagiarism of the New Testament authors from pagan sources. Now yeah. we're going to do pay, uh, plagiarism of the New Testament authors from Hebrew sources, from the <laughs> Old Testament. <laughs> and, uh, now, the great thing about this is we've already proved that, that they don't have any thought of their own in this. I mean, they're plagiarizing from the Babylonians, from the Egyptians. They're just stealing it wherever they can. And then you get uh, the New Testament, which is supposed to be this beautiful thing that kind of draws to a close the Old Testament. And then you discover they plagiarized completely through the Old Testament to bring the New Testament to fruition. This is just jackassery. You can, uh, we can start with a nativity. Um, Matthew's nativity seems to be swiped from the story of Moses in the Old Testament. <laughs> seems my ass it is swiped. I mean, take a look. Matthew There's no 2- difference. Yeah, there, there's no difference. Hitting the high points, you have a, a special child who is foretold uh, to do great things, possibly even overthrow the king. You have an angry ruler who uh, doesn't want this to happen, and so he uh, kills all of the uh, children that could fit this description. Uh, and then you have the baby avoiding that death sentence, growing up, and of course... You know, becoming, you know, fulfilling his destiny, basically. It's the exact same story. Well, you know what's always fascinated me about this whole situation is you have Herod killing the boys in Bethlehem, you have Pharaoh throwing all the boys into the Nile, and uh, it's, it's all to protect their kingdom. Well, they die. They die before these children even grow up. So, uh. <laughs> it's kind of pointless. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting that clearly that he swiped it from that, but also. Uh, if you look into Josephus in Antiquities 2.9.2, um, he describes uh, the the Moses's nativity. Right? I mean, yeah. you can you can essentially just swap names on this. One of those sacred scribes who are very sagacious in foretelling future events, truly, told the king that about this time there would a child be born to the Israelites, who, if he were reared, would bring the Egyptian dominion low, and would raise the Israelites, that he would excel all men in virtue, and obtain a glory that would be remembered through all ages. Does that sound familiar at all? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Josephus also talked about Moses' role as the Savior, pointing out that he will deliver the Hebrew race from their bondage in Egypt. All right. I I mean... uh, Oh, he goes on to say, which thing was so feared by the king that according to this man's opinion, he commanded that they should cast every male child which was born to the Israelites into the river and destroy it. For this child, whom the sacred scribe foretold, was brought up and concealed from the observers appointed by the king. And he that foretold him did not mistake in the consequences of his preservation, which were brought to pass in the manner following. Now he talks about a little sequence, uh, and let me know if this sounds familiar to you. Uh, a man whose name was Amram, one of the nobler sorts of the Hebrews, yeah, was afraid by God in a dream. Yep. Was afraid for his whole nation lest it should fail. His wife being then with child, he knew not what to do. Hereupon he betook himself to prayer to God. Accordingly, God had mercy on him and was moved by his supplication. He stood by him in his sleep and exhorted him not to despair of his future favors. Know, therefore, that I shall provide for you all in common what is for your good. For that child, out of dread of whose nativity the Egyptians have doomed the Israelite children to destruction, shall be this child of thine and shall be concealed from those who watch to destroy him. And when he is brought up in a surprising way, he shall deliver the Hebrew nation from the distresses there under the Egyptians. His memory shall be famous while the whole world lasts, not only among the Hebrews, but foreigners also. You essentially just take that story and change the names. Uh, Amram yeah. is Joseph. Um, his wife, Jacobet, I think, is, is Mary. Pharaoh is Herod. I mean, it's the exact same story. Yeah, well, you know, the interesting thing is, is, in the Joseph and Mary uh, situation, it's pointed out that Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins, but from their sins could actually be a later glossing over. So it could very well say the same thing, for he will save the people, period. And uh, this whole from their sins is in debate as to whether or not it's it was a, a later insertion or even a glossing over. So basically, you're absolutely right. Take Moses, slap his name on Jesus, and there we go. And that episode, I believe, of the destruction of the children only occurs in Matthew. Uh, Luke has that story where Jesus is sitting there in the temple and everyone's amazed at at what an amazing genius this child is. And he's uh, interpreting scripture like crazy and uh, unbelievable. He's wise beyond his years. That seems to be swiped again, possibly from Josephus. Um, but also there's a Philo's Life of Moses, 1.21. Young Moses had all kinds of teachers, one following another, but in a short time he exceeded all their knowledge by the surpassing endowments of his own genius, so that everything he learned seemed instead to have been recollected. At the same time, he himself comprehended many difficult matters by virtue of his own genius. In, in the life of Flavius Josephus, this is an autobiography, so this is Josephus talking about Josephus. Page 2. When I was a child about 14 years old, I was universally commended for my love of learning, on account of which the high priest and the chief men of the city frequently visited me in a group to ask my opinion about the accurate understanding of points of law. <laughs> Bullshit, Josephus. Let's yeah. go get this 14-year-old's opinion. Yeah, well, well the whole thing is bullshit. It, it, it's, it's easily carried over. I'm sure it was something in antiquity to set aside those who were absolutely important, or those who even felt they were important. So here's Josephus, just, ah, God, it's it's just retarded. And the funny thing is, is that it's just plagiarized and used over and over again. And yet, in modern-day times, people don't catch on to this. Oh, right, yeah, well, 
and I don't think in, in old times they would have caught on to it either because this would have been read to them. They don't have a copy of this stuff in front of them. They can research and jump back and forth. Well, this, that this excuses that in ancient times, but today we have it in front of us. People fact, don't read this shit. Well, people <laughs> don't, don't read, read it. it. Well, the funny thing is, is, I mean, I was always told by my dad that I had to read the scriptures for a half hour a day. I never really did, but I, he was constantly on all of us to do that. And he did it himself. I can't tell you how many times this guy has read the Bible, and yet there is absolutely no correlation between all of this. Yeah, they don't read Josephus either. They'll, they'll name him. They'll know his name, or they'll understand who he is because he provides, you know, evidence in quotes for Jesus's existence. Beyond that, they don't know anything about him. Your father's very fond of pointing to the Book of Abraham to say that Abraham taught. Oh, uh, you're bringing e this up. <laughs> Egypt's uh, taught Egyptians um, astronomy, right? Yeah, yeah. He he actually did make that comment to me, and uh, my well, it's in the Book of Abraham. Job. It's in yeah. the book of Abraham. It's, he's got a picture of him doing that. Do you know where Joseph Smith got that from? Josephus. Josephus said that Abraham came, taught a bunch of Pharaoh's court in astronomy and other sciences and blah, blah, blah. And from there it passed on to the Greeks. Fucking ridiculous. Yeah, kiss um, my ass. <laughs> yeah, and aliens built the pyramids. So, <laughs> so um, you remember when Jesus gets baptized? And this voice comes out, uh, Behold my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Yeah, I'm sure he farted and it came out of the water. So That's actually stitched together from a couple of Old uh, Testament sayings. The first would be Isaiah 42, uh, verse 1. This is God talking to Israel. You know, they've just, they're just about to come back from the Babylonian captivity. Um, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. Uh, there's also Psalms 2.7. God announces the king of Judah, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Actually, very interesting. In some alternative manuscripts, old manuscripts, in alternative writing, instead of, Behold my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, it is, You are my son, today I have begotten you. That led to the adoptionist heresy, where Jesus was a normal man until he was baptized, and then God adopted him as his son. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, that makes more sense then God coming down to the world here, getting himself baptized, and then nearly breaking his arm as he's trying to backpad himself. I'm wondering why God is saying things out of the Old Testament. Why is he stitching together two things out of the Old Testament instead of making up something new? Yeah, see, and, and this once very... again goes against those who say that the Old Testament is filled with rape, murder, so on and so forth, and the New Testament is all fluffy. If you are stealing from the Old Testament, it's the same goddamn thing. Yeah, you know, what's the more, what's the more plausible scenario? God's up there with his copy of um, the Old Testament, dog-eared. <laughs> he's got a corner turned on Psalms 2-7 and Isaiah 42-1. And he's, okay, let's see here. <clears throat> Behold my beloved son, uh, in whom I am well pleased. Uh, which is, a, you know, uh, kind of a, if you, if you guys know, it's a combination of Psalm and Isaiah. <clears throat> uh, anyway. Yeah, cough, cough, don't pay any attention to that. Continue to believe my mindless souls. Or, no one was there. They have to come up with something that God says. What more uh, weighty source you have than the Old Testament? So you look around the Old Testament, you find it, you stitch a couple things together, and it sounds like God. Yeah, you know, i, I got to say, it, it all goes down to these newly budding Christians 
and they're trying to prove that their religion is just as good as everybody else, so they start plagiarizing from the earlier scriptures. That's that's all this jackassery is. Oh, right, and it, well, it proves to me that no one was there at the uh, baptism, right? There weren't yeah. any witnesses to the baptism, um, if it ever happened. No one knows, um, and they just had to make it up. There also, you know, everyone knows Jesus after the baptism went into the wilderness and he fasted for forty days and forty nights. This is, you know, this amazing feat. No one yep. could do this except for Jesus. Mm. Well, except for Moses and Elijah, <laughs> they also <laughs> did. It. Yeah, you know, you know, the funny thing is, is growing up, that's what I always heard is Jesus was so extraordinary yeah. that he could go without food and and fast for 40 days and 40 nights, and then we would always have the, the teacher stand up there and say, how long do you think any of you would survive without food? Yeah, kiss my ass, jackass. Right, Moses and Elijah both did it. Moses in Exodus 34:28, and Elijah in 1 Kings 19:8. Um, and coincidentally, who appeared to him on the transfiguration? Moses and Elijah. <laughs> so clearly, yeah. Again, the Old Testament, the New Testament authors are um, aware of what they're doing. They know they're they're patterning this shit after prior prophets. Well, like I said, they're they're trying to find credentials where there are none. It, it, it's like walking up, having a woman pay for your dinner because you're patting your back pockets, going, "Huh, I must have left my wallet at home." I can see <laughs> these writers doing the exact same goddamn thing. Right. Right. Now, there are some uh, coincidences uh, between Jesus and the Exodus. In the desert, Jesus faces three temptations, uh, coincidentally, just like Israel does when it was wandering in the desert. Uh, he's first confronted with hunger, right? Um, yeah. And they're, they're tempted by Satan to uh, murmur against the Lord, right? And the Israelites yeah. failed that. They murmured against the Lord, and they ended up with manna. And they still murmured, I think, because the manna tasted like shit, but... Well, would you eat manna falling from the God, sky? <laughs> God's not a cook, right? <laughs> it's just like, well, Here, let's see what shit. I can fry up. Well, <laughs> uh, it's a little burnt, take it. Uh, Satan dares Jesus to put God to the test, right? To demand that God prove his promise to take care of him. Um, Israel kind of went underwent the same temptation when the people started fighting with Moses at Massa in uh, Exodus 17, 1 through 6. They wanted, you know, Moses to prove um, that he was with God and et cetera, et cetera. It's ridiculous. But Jesus refuses to do that, you know, want to do that temptation. Finally, <laughs> Jesus Yeah, because is... as we know, God doesn't want any believers. He just wants the retards to follow him. Right. But anybody who has a brain, no, let's not give them any proof. Jesus is also tempted to worship a false god, right? Um, yeah. Satan. Uh, Let's see, golden cow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Moses takes off for a couple of weeks, comes back, and it's fucking assholes who are, you know, miracle after miracle after miracle comes yeah. back in there. <laughs> We're just thinking <laughs> fucking calf that they made themselves. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, that many people, they're just a large crowd following the uh, the main line here. So, uh, I mean, if, I'm sure if we'd slap Brangelina in front of them, they'd worship that too. Uh, let's move on to the Olivet Discourse. Uh, the uh, it's called the it's in Mark 13. It's called the Olivet Discourse because it's given at the the Mount of Olives. 
this is Mount of Olives is actually frequently mentioned in the New Testament. I love that you have to describe the Olivet Discourses was on the Mount of Olives. Thanks, Charlie. <laughs> that was so unclear. I don't think anybody would have realized that. Leighton, that was actually just for your benefit. Oh well, in that case, it was it was good because I had no idea. It's frequently mentioned <laughs> in the New Testament. Jesus would go back and forth from Bethany to Jerusalem. Um, he's supposedly wept. Uh, over Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. Um, at the foot of the Mount of Olives lies the Garden of Gethsemane, right? So this will come. Yeah. This will be important a little bit later. But anyway, it figures prominently in the old, the New Testament. It's mentioned a couple times in the Old Testament as well. This is the discourse uh, supposedly given by Jesus uh, in Mark 13. But apparently, Mark must have gotten this from another source that was already uh, extant in the form of a written pamphlet. Uh, because as Jesus is talking, he pauses in Mark thirteen fourteen and says, "Let the reader understand." <laughs> <laughs> now, see, it's things like that that make me think that Jesus never existed. I mean, barring the fact that you have to pull shit out of the Old Testament to uh, fluff up his character, then you've got some pamphlet being just written in there, and it's just like, "Yeah, just read this." Ah, oh, shit! I should have said, "Listen." Yeah. This pamphlet is this this pastiche of uh, Old Testament. It just goes back and forth in, in the books of the Old Testament, and uh, so apparently, you know, Jesus is supposed to be saying this. This is put in the mouth of Jesus. So yeah. if you accept it on the face of it, Jesus is bouncing back between Isaiah, Micah, Daniel, Isaiah again. I mean, it's ridiculous. We'll we'll go over one by one. So uh, Mark thirteen, verse eight. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Well, that's swipe from Isaiah 19.2. I will stir up Egyptian against Egyptian. Brother will fight against brother. Neighbor <laughs> against neighbor. City against city. Kingdom against kingdom. Hmm. Um, yeah, that doesn't sound familiar at all. <laughs> Mark 13.12, four verses later. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Uh, sounds similar to Micah 7.6. For a son dishonors his father, a daughter rises up against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the members of his own household. So, so far, Jesus has quoted Isaiah and Micah while try attempting to take credit for it himself. <laughs> yes, because we all know how inspired Jesus was. Mark thirteen nineteen. Because those will be the days of distress unequaled from the beginning, when God created the world until now, and never to be equaled again. Compare that to Daniel 12, 1. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. Yeah, yeah. Once again, if Jesus is supposed to come down and teach us the truth, why can't he say anything for himself? Why is he just constantly regurgitating what has already been said? <laughs> why can't he I've, make up some new shit, right? Yeah, make up some new shit. I mean, why wasn't he up there going, and Joseph Smith in the latter days will bring forth the gospel? <laughs> Mark thirteen twenty four. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Isaiah 13.10 The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. So he's, he's taken shit from Micah 7.6 and then uh, Daniel 12.1. He says there will be time of distress. And then he moves to Isaiah 13.10. <laughs> he's linking <laughs> Daniel and Isaiah, sticking them together. Again, bizarre. Mark thirteen twenty five. this very next verse. The stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. 
Now he jumps uh, 20 verses to Isaiah 34, section 4. All the stars of the heaven will be dissolved, and the sky rolled up like a scroll. All the starry host will fall like withered leaves from the vine. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. You know, and it goes on and on. some it's... original shit. This is just like regurgitating the Beatles over and over and thinking that it's good. Yeah. Why doesn't he say, as it is said uh, in the scriptures, or as you've read in the scriptures? Because he doesn't want to point out where he's getting the shit from. Well, of course not. And And the amazing thing is, is you have... Christians nowadays who don't even realize this shit because the authors of yesteryear were correct in hiding it. They succeeded. Nobody knows this shit. Yeah, you wonder why they're giving palm leaves, um, laying them down in front of Jesus when he, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Yeah. Psalm 118 says, starting in verse 19, Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. And 27, the Lord is God, and he has made his light shone, shine upon us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. So this is what they're doing as far. Again, it, it makes me think this never happened because they have to steal shit out of the Old Testament in order to fill in these gaps. Yeah, I, I still stand behind. You know what? In an earlier verdict uh, with with Christ being crucified, things like that, I was kind of on the fence about him actually being a, a real person. Finding out the amount of plagiarisms that are actually in there, I really don't think Christ even existed. Uh, well, it's looking less and less likely. Um, remember the Garden of the Get Gethsemane? Yep. So this sequence where Jesus comes up and uh, someone tries to grab Jesus, one of his disciples draws his sword and cuts off the guy's off ear. The yep. And uh, then Jesus says, you know, quit doing that, blah, blah, blah. He, he tells him to stop it. Uh, think of how similar that is from David's f uh, flight from Absalom, his son, who's recently usurped the throne in Second Samuel uh, 1530 and 16, 5 through 11. So 1530 starts, but David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered and he was barefoot. God. Uh, moving to 16.5. As King David approached Bahurim, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there. His name was Shimei, son of Gera, and he cursed as he came out. He pelted David and all the king's officials with stones, though all the troops in the special guard were on David's right and left. As he cursed, Shimei said, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has handed the kingdom over to your son Absalom. You have come to ruin uh, because you are a man of blood. Uh, so he's, he's cursing at uh, King David. Yeah, and then yeah. one of David's servants, uh, Abishai, son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. But the king said, this is David, my son, who is of my own flesh, is trying to take my life. How much more, then, is this Benjamite? Leave him alone, let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. Uh, so uh, the sequence of events is exactly the same. Yeah. They, they go into the Garden of Gethsemane, which David <laughs> is walking through. Uh, the guy curses him. One of his servants, you know, makes to cut his head off. He's stopped and uh, uh, shamed, essentially, by... Uh, the the main figure in question. I mean, yeah, swipe straight out of the Old Testament. Yeah. Well, once again, Jesus, get your own material. Why don't you go start slapping some more trees for not giving you fruit? That was original. 
Yeah, that was one of the few original things Jesus did. (laughs) (laughs) That is one of the dickish things that he did. (laughs) So um, the crucifixion itself, and this is why I thought it was a powerful argument that the crucifixion itself stood as a stumbling block to conversion. So why would they say that unless it happened? Well, the crucifixion is essentially a rewrite of Psalm 22. So this is people going through, these are early Christians going through the Old Testament and, and finding things that they think match up with Christianity. Um, and uh, clearly this is where the Gospels are getting the crucifixion scene. Psalm 22 starts out, verse 1, first line, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Huh, uh, I've never heard that before. Right, Mark fifteen thirty four. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Luke, interestingly enough, doesn't like that. He doesn't like the fact that God would forsake Jesus. And so in Luke 23, 46, he changes it. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. does Does he change it to something that he knows Jesus actually said, or he has eyewitness account. Remember, Luke interviewed eyewitnesses, right? Supposedly, uh, yeah. No, he changes it to Psalm 30. He takes out 22, and he changes it to Psalm 31, 5, which says, Into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. What yeah. fucking dicks. Yeah, well, they, they don't know what the fuck they're it. talking about. Uh, that psalm didn't it. work. This is 2,000 years, and they're still getting away with this shit. So I applaud them. They were geniuses sure. because they plagiarized this shit, st- stuffed it down people's throats, and that was that. We were all good. Yeah, I don't like that psalm, so I'll change it to a different psalm. Yeah. Psalm 22 is essentially a lamentation song. You know, you have uh, precedence for this in Egypt, where, you know, in, in the dark periods or intermediate periods, uh, you have. The Egyptians saying, "Oh lords, uh, oh gods, you know, please return us to the divine order." You have these servants who are now haughty and they wear better jewelry than their masters, and they have bad <laughs> attitudes. Please, please return us to the divine order, right? Yeah. They're they're lamenting their current state of affairs. Yeah, just it, it's a complete play off of Egypt and their little uh, <laughs> no, the intermediary guy's, periods. Right. I mean, the guy's in pain or he's been, you know, forsaken by his companions. He's, he's in some sort of extremity uh, and he's uh, telling God, please, you know, bring me out of this. Um, in verse 7, it says, All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. Mark fifteen twenty nine. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads. Swipe straight from... 22.7. The next one. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Uh, Mark 15.32. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Uh, Matthew 27.43. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Uh, It's also kind of swiped straight from the wisdom of Solomon, uh, which is an apocryphal book. You guys can read that yourself. It's in 2, 12 through 20. Get off um, your lazy asses and read something. Why do you guys always have to wait for us to read it first? Right, for God's sakes. We've done enough work. Yeah. What work have we done? I did a lot of work, you did. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I did my work, but you uh, jumped right in and overtook it. But I still got a clincher at the end. Uh, Verse 14, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. Um, 
Compare that to John 19.34, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Verse 16, Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I think this is where they got the idea for the crucifixion. They have pierced yeah. my hands and my feet. Oh, this has to refer to Jesus. He uh, he had to be pierced. He, he, now, remember, <laughs> they don't ever actually say that he was crucified. The first sign that we get that he actually was nailed to the cross was actually doubting Thomas himself yeah. when he asked to see the holes. But the, the word for um, Jesus' end was they hung him, essentially. They hung him on a tree or something like that, hung him on a cross. Um, this actually says they pierced my hands and feet. I think that's where they got the crucifixion from. Um, see, and once eight, again, it's all of this shit just cobbled together to form up this savior-type person that they all want to believe in. Yeah. Uh, finally, um, Psalm twenty-two, eighteen: They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Mark fifteen twenty four, and when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. So Mark <laughs> has uh, um, obviously swiped the whole crucifixion scene from Psalm twenty two, just a lamentation song. Uh, and again, why was there anyone there? Don't we have eyewitnesses of Jesus's uh, crucifixion? Why do you have to make this shit up? Why do you have to crib it from the Old Testament? One last thing, uh, and this is present in all four Gospels. Uh, starting with Mark 15:36, one man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it Jesus to drink. Matthew 27:34, there they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. Luke 23:36 to 37, the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, "If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself." Finally, John 19:28-29. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. So you wonder where, it was really an important uh, detail, right? It's present yeah, yeah. in all four Gospels. It's important to know that people back then were constantly carrying around vinegar for absolutely no reason. Here, drink this vinegar. Yeah, uh, what, what the fuck? Why would you drink vinegar? <laughs> compare that Compare that to Psalm 69, 21. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. So apparently, John says outright, so that the scripture would be fulfilled, right? Yeah. Well, this is a very interesting psalm because that's Psalm 69, 21. Let me read the next few verses for you, starting with verse 22. Let their table become a snare before them. And that which should have been for their welfare, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened that they see not, and make their loins continually to shake. What the fuck does that mean? Their loins to continually shake. Why does he uh, want their Maybe it's a, a bunch of guys walking around shaking their hips so it slaps between them as men are apt to do. Make, make their loins continually to shake, quoth the psalmist. Pour out <laughs> thine indignation upon them. Let thy wrathful anger take hold of them. Let their habitation be desolate. Let none dwell in their tents, for they persecute him who thou hast smitten, and they talk to the grief of those whom thou hast wounded. Add iniquity unto their iniquity, and let them not come into thy righteousness. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living, and let and not be written with the righteous. So basically, right after this so-called scripture that is to be fulfilled by Jesus, the psalm says, fuck all you people, and fuck your dogs, and your mothers, and fuck all everybody. 
And once again, if you are going to steal from scriptures previously, you can't just nitpick. You are stealing, and therefore everything that goes along with it is what you are taking with you. So this is Jesus up there, fingers in the air, saying, fuck you all. It's exactly the same as them stealing that stupid verse out of Isaiah, you know, and, and a virgin slash young woman shall conceive and call they shall call him Emmanuel, right? Yeah. And yeah. Th- that's it. They they don't read the next couple verses which say that the kid actually was born. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, that wasn't important what they were swiping. It, the only thing that was important was that little section. And the funny thing is, is these early writers, just like today's church authorities, they want people to listen to them and not research things for themselves. I mean, uh, one of the things that I researched was if there were actual people out there within the church themselves who have discovered these plagiarisms and figured out a way around it. And uh, this right here, Donald W. Perry... Coming, surprise, surprise, from BYU.edu, actually discovered that Isaac foreshadowed Christ. Now, this right here was the tipping point for me. This, his little speech here, is what made me decide that Christ never existed at all. And I'm not going to give you the verses. Look them up yourselves. But you have Isaac, who has a miraculous birth because his parents are too old. Jesus has a miraculous birth with a virgin. Isaac called the only son of his father. Jesus called the only begotten. Isaac called the son of promise. Jesus called the son of promise. Now here's where it gets interesting. And Charlie and I have even pointed out that uh, the crucifixion is what was kind of holding us back, making us believe that Christ was there. Well, (laughs) you have Isaac who carried the wood for his own sacrifice, and then you have Jesus carrying the wooden cross to his execution. Now, uh, this is where it gets interesting. Isaac was brought to a mountain in the land of Moriah to be sacrificed, and this was later identified as the site of Solomon's temple. And Jesus was crucified on the highest uh, or highest point of the temple mount of Moriah. And, uh, <laughs> and it goes on. Isaac was bound. Jesus was bound. Isaac willingly permitted himself to be sacrificed, Jesus said, No man taketh away my life from me, but I lay it down myself. God will provide himself a lamb, coming from Isaac. And then Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. It was a three-day trip to Moriah and a three-day trip back. Jesus died. Three days, he was resurrected again. This is completely swiped. I don't think Christ existed at all. Yeah, again, um, these uh, comparisons all neglect the ending of the story. I'd be more impressed with the comparison between Isaac and Jesus if Isaac actually bit the dust. (laughs) God, (laughs) as a type of things to come, allowed Abraham to slit the guy's throat and let his blood spill upon the ground as an incense to the Lord. Yeah. Because that's what happened to Jesus. That's what happened to Jesus, and it happened to Jephthah. So we know Christ is an... or Christ, God, whoever... He's, He's not, not squeamish. Killing your children. He's not squeamish about this shit. <laughs> Make fun of a bald prophet. Here, have a she bear. <laughs> have the she bears eat forty children. No problem. God yeah. doesn't care. Doesn't have any morals. The fuck, he yeah. doesn't care. So, yeah. I, like I said, I'd be more impressed if uh, the ending was the same. But 
Um, the, the story certainly seems similar. The argument is that uh, that it was a type of Jesus, you know, to become. I would say that a it's totally unnecessary. What the fuck? Who cares whether Isaac existed or not? As far as um, Jesus's story, why would why would God have to set that up? Why does he care? Why, and why, why didn't he do God... it more than once? Why doesn't he yeah. keep doing it like for four or five times? <laughs> So because that amazing... repetition would show you that it's important. You got to yeah. pay attention to this, right? This yeah. like a theme in a novel keeps cropping back up. This was just one event that happened, and suddenly uh, takes eminence now because the New Testament authors think that uh, the, the story is very similar to Isaac, right? Yeah, yeah. They're just cribbing everything. <laughs> that, that's that's basically what this all this research did was just prove. They're they're just stealing everything out of there. Christ didn't exist. Kiss my I'm, ass, all the out there who says he does. I'm going to tell you. It, to me, it is an open question. It is eminently debatable. Very arguable. I, I don't think so. I, I mean, it was always the crucifixion, which was uh, kind of holding me on that side. But I'm sorry, the crucifixion is just plagiarism. Well, you got the crucifixion and the baptism of John. That's also that was a a, a point of contention between. Well, of course, he, had, he was uh, he was being baptized by John, whereas it's supposed to be those more spiritually powerful, blah, blah, blah. Right. Well, I can understand that, uh, but I, there is nowhere in there any proof that Christ existed. We already have plagiarisms from the Old Testament. Where else were they getting this information? Yeah. They're not smart enough to... You I think, think it's, it's an open question. It's definitely uh, an open question. I don't think so. I, I think if they're not smart enough to come up with a clear story that is their own by plagiarizing from their own scripture, I can guarantee you they were plagiarizing from other sources to make this story fit. So it's, it's I'm not sorry. evidence against his existence. It's evidence that they were filling in gaps. I mean, you really filling don't have any gaps. evidence against Jesus' existence either. Jesus' entire existence beyond slapping a tree is all plagiarism. This isn't filling in gaps. Jesus had no life. What if he was just a wandering first century apocalyptic prophet that uh, people just liked and then end up taking his name as a spiritual leader uh, and tacked a bunch of crappy stories onto him, like Hercules? <laughs> oh, like Hercules. So you're saying Hercules now existed? Yeah. You have doubts on that? <laughs> yes, I do, actually. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, that, Achilles, that, that's a different story, but Hercules, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's wind this up. Uh, <clears throat> we don't really have any idea what we're going to do next week, are we? Do we ever have any idea what we're going to do next week? I mean, fuck you, fans month was just kind of a spur of the moment thing, so <laughs> who we, knows what we're going to come up with next week. I did listen to a fascinating lecture on authorship of the Book of Mormon and uh, linguistics of the Book of Mormon that uh, maybe maybe interesting we'll figure something out um also on the horizon i'd like to do an episode on gnostics or maybe early christian heresies so we'll figure something out yeah well we got plenty in the pipeline like uh the meadows massacre things like we, we've got tons of stuff so you guys will get something so stop your bitching maybe if leighton can get his fucking internet working yeah. Oh, <laughs> so we're blaming my internet. That was one goddamn day. What about the rest of the days that you backed out? Yeah, these guys would have had it, the, this podcast 24 hours sooner if it weren't for your yeah, yeah, 24 hours sooner, and the last week was your fault. So kiss my ass. What are you talking about my fault? Hey, if I get blamed for 24 hours, you get blamed for the it's, rest. <laughs> it's never my fault. I knew that already. <laughs> 
That's true. I am kind of the whipping boy since we haven't replaced Pockdy yet. Yeah. Um, so I guess uh, go post on the forum because we took all the, you know, we spent all that hard work putting it up there just so you assholes and stop complaining. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so we don't have to read your complaints underneath the podcast. Go complain somewhere else so yeah. we don't have to pay attention. <laughs> it makes your complaints easier to ignore. That's <laughs> whole purpose. Yeah. The. The only reason you should comment on the podcast itself is to praise us for our genius. <laughs> Complain somewhere else so we don't have to pay attention to you. All right. Bye. Bye.